Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from the 18th chapter of Genesis. Listen for the word of God. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? There, in the tent. I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Oh, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
want to be like Sarah when I'm old. It was hard enough being pregnant and having babies in my 20s. Imagine giving birth at age 90. Okay, men, <laughs> that might not be really imaginable for you at any age, but I guarantee you'd not want to be like Abraham when you are his age. In the previous chapter, Genesis 17, he had just been circumcised along with all the other men, men in his household at age 99. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I wouldn't know, but I hear it's pretty painful. However, you look at it, at age 89 and 99, both Sarah and Abraham are in some physical and psychological pain in today's passage. 25 years ago, God had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that a son would be given to them. Through this son, Abraham would become the father of all nations. But that was quite a long time ago. Now old and deeply steeped in their harsh reality of living the nomadic life in the desert, Abraham is content to think that his son Ishmael, whose mother is Hagar, is the promised child who will carry on the family name. But God tells Abraham in chapter 17 that Ishmael, while he is blessed, is not the promised child. God tells him that Sarah will bear a child when she is 90 and Abraham is 100 years old. When Abraham hears this, he laughs, just like Sarah laughs in today's passage. Today's passage explores how God's promises are fulfilled in our lives. The promise that we will be a blessing wherever we go. The promise of a new resurrected life. As we look at how God operates in the ordinary lives of Sarah and Abraham, we will come to acknowledge and realize what God's plans are for us and how he wants to fulfill his promise towards us. It's just another scorching hot day in the Middle Eastern desert. Abraham is resting, probably dozing off at the entrance of his tent. But when he sees the three strangers, he runs up to them and bows down to them. According to Hebrews, Abraham was not aware that the strangers were God or angels. In referring to the story of Abraham, it says in Hebrew chapter 17, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. For Abraham, it's just an ordinary day, and he does what he would do to any stranger who comes near his tent. This idea of welcome, hospitality, kindness, become extremely important in the Hebrew culture. The very survival of their culture was dependent on the way they treated strangers and guests. In the heat of the day, Abraham gets busy. He quickly goes to Sarah to have her bake flour cakes for them. He kills a calf and prepares juicy steaks. You can almost taste the fresh curd and milk he puts out before them. And when food is all set, he waits on them under the tree as the guests eat their gourmet meal. You can almost taste, smell, and touch this scene. It really appeals to our senses. 
Abraham seems to be busy living in the concreteness of here and now. But God breaks into this very normal, steady, busy reality of Abraham and Sarah to renew a vision of God's extraordinary world. God is about to do a new thing to an old couple who has settled into an ordinary life. Friends, we have no idea what God is in store for us. We have no idea how one day, one moment of entertaining strangers can change our lives. Some of us have settled for whatever life we think we must live for the sake of our children, or to move up that corporate ladder, or just being busy day by day. Spectacular promises we had once held on to and outrageous dreams we had once dared to dream. They have long been buried in the everyday, everyday soil of our mundane reality. But this passage challenges us that God is not done with us yet, no matter what stage we think we're in. God whispers into our ears, expect a new life. Expect the most unexpected. Be ready to be surprised by God who comes to you as strangers in your midst. Just as God is not done with Abraham and Sarah, God is not done with Now the latter part of the passage is all about Sarah. I think Abraham must have been a little bit like my husband. He had not told Sarah anything about what God had said to him in the previous chapter. That by this time next year, Sarah would give birth to a son at age 90. That's a pretty significant information that God had just communicated to Abraham. And yet, Sarah has no knowledge of this at all. This same news is being delivered to Sarah by the strangers in Genesis 18. Abraham doesn't need to hear this. He's already heard it. But Sarah does. And so the strangers who come onto the scene to deliver this news is really there for benefit of Sarah. I know today's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you all who are fathers. But sorry, dads. Sarah, the matriarch, is stealing your show today. Through today's passage, we realize that the promise of a son was not only to Abraham, but also to Sarah. In a patriarchal society where women were considered to be mere properties of men, this is certainly a pleasant surprise. What does it matter whose egg it is as long as it's Abraham's seed? But it does matter to God. The child of promise must come through Sarah, as this passage suggests. Sarah takes center stage in the second half of this passage. Through it, we understand that the promise of faith community is dependent on every single one of the people in this place. Everyone participates, not just the rich or the powerful or who has the loudest voice, but especially those who are most marginalized and vulnerable among us. From little children to youth, to the poorest, to the grieving, to the quietest, God's promise of love, mercy, and justice is fulfilled through all of us. The promise of new vibrant life is fulfilled through the most vulnerable among us in our community. How much do we value our children and youth in our church? How much do we appreciate those who are considered small in our midst? 
I guarantee that God will bring new life to our church, to our community, to our world, through those who are overlooked and powerless among us, just as God did through Sarah, who was barren. Much like how Jesus was born through Mary, a mere teenage peasant girl who was virgin. <coughs> Lastly, God's promise is fulfilled to us in the midst of utter hopelessness. The promise of a child was 25 years ago. By now, Sarah has lost all hope. She laughs just as Abraham did in the previous chapter because she knows how ridiculous it is that she'll become pregnant when she's no longer menstruating. And we know this laugh well, don't we? The painfully incredulous laugh that deny extraordinary things can happen in our lives. The laugh that feels hollow in our guts because we have lost hope that God can actually change us or intervene in our lives for the better. The laugh that comes from thinking, of course, nothing is too wonderful for the Lord, except when it comes to my life, or my family, or my marriage. There are times we laugh at the absurdity of God's promises to us because we cannot see beyond our ordinary reality of today. I know this laugh well. Because if you had told me at age six, when my speech impediment was so severe that I couldn't even pronounce my own name correctly, that one day I'd be preaching the word of God to hundreds of people, I would have definitely laughed in your face. If you had told me at age nine when I first came to America and didn't know how to speak English at all, that one day I would become a high school English teacher, I would have laughed all the way to my ESL class. <laughs> Only you probably would have had to tell me in Korean because I wouldn't know it in English if you told me. If you had told me when I was teaching high school that one day I would be wearing this clergy collar, I would have laughed in the middle of things I never thought I would be able to do. God has made it possible for me. And for me, that's where God's mercy meets my humanity. This month, we're focusing on the theme of mercy from Micah 6.8. What does God require of you to love mercy, to do justice, and walk humbly with God? But for us to love mercy, we have to first experience this mercy. Have you experienced God's mercy? And Hallelujah Anyway by Anne Lamont, she says this about mercy. Images of tiny things, babies yeast, and mustard seeds can guide us. Things that grow are what changes everything. Moments of compassion, giving, grief, and wonder shift our behavior, get inside us and change realms we might not have agreed to have changed. Each field, field is wheat and wheat, but mix the wheat with yeast, the most ordinary of elements, and it starts changing the flour. It becomes bread, and so do we bread to eat and offer. The world keeps going. You can have yet another cup of coffee and keep working on your plans, or you can take the risk to be changed 
surrounded and indwelled by the strange, easy mash called mercy. Friends, our God is all about growing, making the impossible possible, ordinary into extraordinary. God is all about giving new life when we have given up on life. God is all about fulfilling God's promises in our lives when all we want to do is just settle. Maybe you feel like you are at the dead end of your life, but God will make a way for you where there seems to be no way. When you think you're done and you have settled, God sends friends and strangers alike to remind you that you are far from being done. So a year passes, and Sarah finally had the baby. And guess what they named him? Isaac. And what does Isaac mean in Hebrew? Anybody? It means laughter. Abraham and Sarah had both laughed in disbelief. But Isaac is a sign that God is the one who gets the last laugh. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah's laughter of disbelief turns into laughter of pure joy and genuine gratitude. In Genesis 21, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Isaac becomes a sign for us that joyous new life awaits us when we remain faithful and respond to God's call upon our lives, no matter how impossible it may seem. May you always live in God's reality that's far deeper and wider than our own reality. I would like to close with words of Richard Rohr from Falling Upward. In the second half of the spiritual life, you're not making choices as much as you are being guided, taught, and led, which leads to choiceless choices. These are the things you cannot not do because of what you have become. Things you do not need to do because they are not yours to do. And things you absolutely must do because they are your destiny and your deepest desire. You have found your secret dance. You do not need your visions anymore. You're happily participating in God's vision for you. With that, the wonderful dreaming and the dreamer that we were in our early days have morphed into someone else's dream for us. We are henceforth a serene disciple, living in our own unique soul as never before yet paradoxically living within the mind and the heart of God and taking our place in the great and general dance. And it is my prayer that you will learn to dance with God in this sacred dance called life. Let us pray. Before time began, your faithfulness was ever-present, God of grace. Your never-ending love poured out beauty and goodness, transforming chaos into full moons treading across the night, 
Dinosaurs lumbering through valleys, bees pollinating flowers and making honey. All this, the earth, the rivers, the wonders were for those you formed in your image. But when we could not go anywhere, we chose the comforts of sin and death. You called women and men as prophets, sending them out with only your hopes in hands. And we turned away from them, offering contempt, not compassion, when we saw them. So you sent your precious treasure to become one of us, that we might become your holy people. With those who make a joyful noise, we forever sing to the glory of your name. When the time was right, heart of holiness, you looked with compassion on us and sent your child to be our hope and blessings. He came not with judgment on his lips, but proclaiming your grace. He came not to aggravate us, but to palliate our foolishness. He came not to knock us down, but to lift us up when we stumble. He came not to watch us die, but to stand at the emptiness of death, pointing and proclaiming that we have nothing to fear because of your steadfast love, which became our resurrection hope. On this day, O oh God, we are especially grateful for the gift of fathers, the gift of being a father, and fathers that we miss. We thank you for the many ways that our fathers have shaped us for their example and their love. Yet we also pray for those who have painful relationships with their fathers, those who are estranged from their fathers, and fathers who are estranged from their children. And God, we pray for those who are unwilling or unable to accept the responsibilities of fatherhood. Now, Lord, as we would seek to see others through Jesus' compassionate eyes, we go to serve his people. Pour out your spirit upon the gifts of bread and cup that all your children gathered here may be the bread of broken life given to the world. Strengthen us so that we may go wherever there is need. Feed whoever is hungry. Cleanse the world of fear and worry. As we drink from the cup of grace, may we be nourished to offer access to grace to everyone, to bring healing to the lonely and to mourn with those who grieve. Then beyond the end of time, gather us with our sisters and brothers from all places around your feast of faithfulness as we sing of your steadfast love forever. And we pray the words Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.